0: The message God wants the church to hear today. The message that God wants the church to hear today. Now, I didn't title it that because I think that I'm just so awesome and I'm so great and that God's given me something he hasn't given anybody else. I'm showing you from the scripture why I believe that it's God's message to the church today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1. To help you understand, in the Bible in Revelation chapter 1, I'll go ahead and read this and then we'll set it up. It says this in verse 19 Jesus appeared to John, the apostle John, and he gave them this vision. He took them into the third heaven. He saw things, he heard things, and he said, Write it down. Uh, and before, you have the entire book of Revelation unfold. Before you get all the prophetic, this is what happens to the world, and the Antichrist, and the plagues, and the, and the uh, seals being opened, different things like that. You have these seven letters to these seven churches. So look at verse 19. He told John, Jesus, it's written in red. This is the words of Jesus. Write down what you've seen, both things that are now happening and things that will happen. Another translation says, write down things that are now and things that are to come. So say now. Say are to come. So basically the entire book of Revelation has to be interpreted through that lens. Things that are now and things that are to come. Right? So for everything that you read in the book of Revelation, there was a literal, there was a literal happening of those things taking place now in those days, but then also the things that are to come. Are you with me? So basically, I want you to apply that to these seven letters. These seven letters, they were seven churches, letters to literal churches. It would be like Jesus speaking and saying to the church of Huntington, Texas, to the church of Lufkin, Texas, to the church of Nacogdoches, right? There was different Literally, there were different literal churches, but it, they, they weren't just literal, like he was only talking to these seven churches. There's that prophetic layer, the things that apply now and the things that are to come. Are you with me? So he says, this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels. The Amplified actually says the messenger, the special messenger of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You know, again, that's why I really believe, and I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the box here. These seven different letters, they also represent seven different periods throughout church history. Amen. Church. The church was birthed. You have to understand, the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. The church did not exist before Acts chapter 2. So in approximately the year 33 AD, the Holy Ghost was poured out in Jerusalem, and the first church was birthed, right? And so from that time until the, the rapture takes place, which we'll talk about in just a moment, you've had almost coming up actually in the year 2033 approximately, will be 2,000 years since the church was birthed, right? So all throughout that 2,000 years, the church, you can look historically, from the Protestant Reformation to the Dark Ages to the reformations that took place in the colonial United States of America, the church has went through different seasons, different times. And these seven letters, actually, one application of them is they represent different times throughout church history. So basically, they were different conditions of the church throughout church history. Are you with me? Is that confusing to anybody? Hopefully not. So you have these seven different letters. And then I want to show you in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, we're really not going to focus on all seven letters. We're going to focus on the last church, the church of Laodicea. Uh, if you apply this lens when you're reading these Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you're going to see the church of Laodicea is the last church on the planet before the rapture takes place, which is depicted, depicted in Revelation 4, verse 1. Revelation 4, verse 1. Uh, before I do that, let me, let me also just preface it with these scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 52. This is talking about the catching away. Paul said, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not die, but we will all be transformed. Say transformed. Transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. So the Bible says that the, there will be a trumpet blow, and we will be transformed. It says, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are also living will be transformed. Look at 1 Thessalonians four, fifteen 15 through 17. It says this, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet. There you have the trumpet call of God. You have the shout. This, it's depicted in many different, a voice of the archangel, a trumpet call. It's a shout, it's a sound. I mean, it's so loud, it's so vibrant. I don't know if it's a physical trumpet, but it's, it's like the blast of a trumpet. You know, and really, the trumpet, it's not like what you think of, you know. It's a show fire, a ram's horn, the blast of a trumpet, a horn. And so it says... First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So basically, let me put these two things together. You'll hear the blast of a shofar, a, a ram's horn. It'll blast. It'll fill the earth and all the dead in Christ, all the believers that have died from, from the time of Christ's resurrection to, to the time of, of this event will rise up out of their graves. And it says, together we with them, we'll begin to meet the Lord in the air and there will be a second trumpet blast and we'll be transformed into his likeness will be transformed into glorified bodies, will be like Christ after he resurrected from the grave. Are you all with me? So this is what's known as the rapture. This is the catching away of the church. And so in the book of Revelation, if you were here back in January, I taught through the entire book, broke it down, taught through Daniel, taught all of that. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, uh, you have a picture of the rapture because a lot of people say, well, if the rapture, is to take place, where do you have that in the book of Revelation? Where do you see this event? Well, any notable theologian that spent any time at all really studying the Scriptures will tell you Revelation 4 is a picture of the rapture. Look at this. So he sees all these seven churches. He gives them these letters to these seven churches. And then in verse uh, chapter 4, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. In the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Say a trumpet blast. What did we just hear? A trumpet call of God, and they were, they were caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Look what the voice said. The trumpet blast said, come up here, and I'll show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. So John's literally having this experience. He's having a spiritual vision where he hears the trumpet blast, and he's caught up into the third heaven, into the throne room before the Lord. That's actually a type, a a depiction of the rapture of the church, what will take place. Amen. Y'all still with me? And so, I have no idea why I just closed my Bible. There we go. Open it right back up. And so, again, you have these seven letters. They represent seven different churches throughout church history. And and I want to focus on the last one. The church of Laodicea. That's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. So turn your Bible there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. So when you look at it through that lens, you understand that this church, these people that Jesus is speaking to, they're the last people before the trumpet call of God. This is the condition of the church before the rapture takes place is what we're going to read about, the church of Laodicea. That's the prophetic application of it. That's why the message is this is the message God wants the church to hear today because I don't know about you, and and let me go ahead and say this. Either, number one, you believe that we're living in the last days, which I believe we are living in the last moments of the last days. You know, I could tell you, I was having a conversation with someone on the phone. I shared it on Facebook. Many of you did. They brought the red heifers to Israel, to Jerusalem. That's the first time that that's happened in 2,000 years. If you don't know the significance of that, um, in order for their temples to be purified and sanctified, they had to have a pure, spotless red heifer that had to have been bred just perfectly in order for the ceremony of purification for the temple Well, how many of you know the temple does not exist in Jerusalem anymore? Right, But so much of what we read about in Revelation, things Jesus prophesied about, Matthew chapter 24, there has to be another temple. And they're like, how can all of this come to pass when there's not even a temple in Jerusalem? Well, we're living in the very moments now. They have the land. They've already got the rights. Now the red heifers have been born and they've transported them to Jerusalem literally to reconstruct that third temple and be able to, you know, sanctify it. Uh, purify, go through that ceremony where they'll be able to institute the judicial law, the law of Moses once again. That's a major Bible prophecy. Are y'all with me? Another reason why I believe that we're living in the last days is Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, when you see the fig tree blossom, he said, that generation will not pass from when the fig tree blossoms. All these things will come to pass before that generation passes away. The fig tree blossom, it's a very clear depiction of Israel throughout the scripture. Israel is de- depicted several times. Jesus taught about it in parables. That he, that this man came inspecting fruit at this tree, the fig tree. And he came one year. He came two years. He came three years. And there was no fruit. Finally, during the fourth year, the master said, chop it down. And, and, and so that's actually a picture of, of Israel bearing no fruit. They were chopped down. When were they chopped down? I know I'm giving you guys a little bit of a history lesson. In 70 AD, Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem. And they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the second temple. When they destroyed that temple, did you know that it made it impossible for the Jews to practice their religion? They don't just get to go wherever they want and have a church service like we do because it all revolves around the temple and the sacrifices of the temple. So whenever Rome came and destroyed that temple, guess what? Judaism, as it was, was chopped. It was like a tree that got chopped down to a stump. Okay, so Jesus said when you see the fig tree blossom, that happened in 70 AD, about 40 years after Jesus uh, resurrected and, and ascended into heaven. For a thousand years, over a thousand years, 1,500 years, Israel was always dominated and occupied by another world power. Look out through history. People always occupied that land. They never governed themselves. They were always governed by another world power. And something happened in 1948. What happened? Israel became a sovereign nation. You know what happened? The fig tree began to, the, the fig tree that had been chopped down began to sprout once again. Jesus said when the fig tree blossoms, when the fig tree begins to sprout, that generation will not pass away. You know, a lot of people speculate, what is a generation? I know some people say Hebrews think 40 years is a generation. I read in the book of Genesis where God classified 100 years as a generation. So I'm not trying to put a date and a time. I'm not dumb enough to do that. I know what the scripture says about that. But just think about this here. If 1940, if I'm right, 1948, that's when the fig tree blossomed, 1948, say say 100 years. That means that Jesus has to fulfill all the events of Matthew chapter 24 by 2048, approximately. What is that, 26 more years? And we know this, according to the layout of the Bible, the rapture of the church takes place seven years, at least seven years before the return of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Did you know the rapture and the second coming are not the same event? The second coming of the Lord, it's the end of the seven-year tribulation where Jesus comes back at the battle of Armageddon. He overthrows the nations. He subdues the nations. And then we'll enter right into what's known as a thousand-year millennial reign with Christ on this earth. So let's just, let's just entertain that thought. And, 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 you know, here's the thing about it as well. It doesn't have to be a hundred years. It has to be with... It could happen before that hundred-year mark. It could happen before 2048. And the, And, again, if you think about that, well... Say the Lord waited till the last moment because he's willing that none should perish but all should be saved. And so he's going to postpone it as long as he possibly can for the harvest's sake, for the soul's sake. And he waits till that last moment. Let's say, hypothetically, 2048. And again, listen to me. I'm not telling you Jesus is coming back 2048. Are y'all with me? So don't say, oh, that's a false prophet. You know, not prophesying. I'm just speculating through the scripture. 2048, if the rapture happens at least seven years before that, what is that, 2041? 19 years. 19 years. How do you think the church would live if they really believe we only have 20 years left? All we have is 20 years left. And the thing about the rapture is actually this. The rapture is known as a signless event in the Bible. That means that there are no... Jesus gave so many signs in Matthew 24, signs of his second coming. This is how you'll know. No man knows the hour, no man knows the day, but you'll know that the season is near when you begin to see these signs. You can tell how close you are by the signs that start coming to pass. Well, the rapture is not like that. The rapture is known as a signless event. What that basically means is there is no indication. It could literally happen at any point. All we know is that it has to happen before The seven-year tribulation begins. The church will be raptured, and then what will take place? The man of lawlessness will be revealed. The Bible talks about how the restrainer is holding, holding back that spirit, holding back that man, and when the restrainer is removed, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. We're living in some very unique times, people. You think about the person of the Antichrist? He could be alive right now could be a young man right now, could be a 30-year-old. If he was 30 and it was in 20 years and he became the man of lawlessness was revealed, he could be 50, you know, he could be an adult. If you weren't here during that, uh, the whole teaching of all that I'm saying is kind of confusing to you, we have teachings that go through all of this available to you in the back. I spent over a month, I mean, that's when we were doing... What, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, five services a week. And I mean, for probably several weeks, 10, 15 of those services, I was going through the book of Daniel, going through the book of Revelation, showing you the timeline from start to finish of of these events according to the scripture. Hallelujah. So... I I say all that to tell you, this isn't some little fluky idea that we're coming up with. This is what studied men of God believe what I'm saying to you. The Laodicean church, let's get back to that here. This is the last church, this is the last people, the last address to the church before the rapture depicted in Revelation 4.1. So this is what Jesus is speaking to the church of that time. So I said all that to tell you. Either A, you believe we're in that time, like me, I believe it. Or you believe we're not there maybe 200, 300 years from now. Christ will come back and all that be fulfilled. Well, either you believe we're in it now or you believe that we're heading to it. It's one or the other. So you can either take it as a message from the Lord to repent today or a warning to make sure that you don't fall into this tomorrow. Are you with me? Either way, I believe it's the message of the Lord for this time. So, some facts about the Laodicean church. I told you this last week. This is the only church that Jesus did not commend them for anything. All other, six other churches, he said things like, he rebuked them, but he he gave them a good job. You've done this well. You've suffered for me without quitting. You've endured persecution. You've been faithful. You've been loyal. He commended them. The Laodicean church, the last church that we're talking about here, it's the only church that he didn't say good job about anything. I've really had a problem with that because I said, Lord, how does that make sense? You know, if we're in that time, we have some of the largest churches on planet earth today. And I'm going to tell you, large doesn't really mean anything. You can look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. They both tell you the exact same thing, that in the last days, people will depart from sound teaching. People will depart from the truth, and it says they'll chase after teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. That means people, you won't, they won't even have to go out and put billboards out. People that want to appease the flesh and the appetite of their flesh will chase after, seek them out, flop to it. Right? So there's nothing wrong with being large. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. But that's not the actual gauge. That's not the biblical gauge, the condition of a people. You know, because if that was, that was the facts, in the last days the Bible says there'll be false teachers, there'll be false doctrines, people will flock to it. So if we just gauged it based off of how big something was, we would look at a church that's going straight to hell and say, man, you guys must be blessed because you got a thousand people coming. But I did I said Lord I have a problem. You know what how does that make sense? How is there nothing that you had to say good job about? Yet we have the largest churches in church history right now. Not in America, in Africa, Ataboya, Oyedepo, Young Hee Cho in South Korea had huge mega amazing churches. They weren't secret sensitive churches. They were churches built on the word and the power of God. So how does that line up? And the Lord was very clear. He says that may be the condition of the church today, but the Bible is clear about one thing. I covered this Wednesday night. It's the great apostasy. In the last days, many will depart from the true faith. Maybe that's why I have such an urgency for Christians today. You know, I was talking about this in prayer that many people, they pray And we should have a heart for the lost, and we do at this church. We're sending people out to go after the lost. We hired an intern to go knock on doors every day to preach the gospel to people. But my heart beats. My heart breaks. My prayers are driven towards the lost that aren't outside the church, the lost that are in the church, the lost that they're not built on the Word of God. They're not ready for what's happening today, and they're definitely not ready for what's happening tomorrow. They won't stand. They're not standing on the front firm foundation of jesus christ and the word of god that's what my heart breaks for i say lord let me talk to those people give me an audience with those people to try to warn them to try to shake them to tell them the things the scripture is clear that is coming hallelujah hallelujah <laughs> So the great apostasy, many will depart from the true faith. In the last days, you're going to see people leaving the church or churches getting into what's known as apostasy. What's apostasy? It's a branch off. It's not like creating new religions. It's taking the truth and diverting from the truth. It's not saying we're going to call another person God, we're going to call Allah God, we're going to call Buddha God. No, it's talking about things that will branch off in the name of Jesus, still function, still operate in the name of Jesus, but have departed from the fundamental truths. Is it hot in here to y'all? Y'all dying in here? No? No? So look, let's look at the text here, Revelation chapter 3. This is God's message to these people. He says, look at verse 15. I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold, but I wish that you were one or the other. Since you are lukewarm, say lukewarm. Since you're lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Skip down to verse 19. It says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Uh, uh, somebody came up to me after the service last week and, and said, you know, the NLT kind of gave a weak rendition of that. The, the other translations say the word repent. Say repent. Repent, repent of your indifference. So the first condition of the church we went over this last week is number 1 it'll be lukewarm. Lukewarm. If you didn't if you aren't here write that down. Lukewarm. Jesus is warning what will the church look like before the rapture? What will the church look like in these last days? Number 1, it will be lukewarm. It will be indifferent. That word, luke, that, lu- that word lukewarm, it means a condition of the soul, wretchedly fluctuating between a taper and a fervor of love. So basically, a taper, say ta- or torpor. Say torpor. That means a state of physical or mental inactivity. Basically, it, the church is going to be in this place of being in a state of physical and mental inactivity. Physical and mental inactivity. That clacking, I'm sorry. I get ADHD. Oh, you're good. Yeah, it's just clacking around, and I'm like squirrel. I can't, yeah. Yeah. Bring her a ball of water from the fridge, James. Thank you. No, you're good. You're good. No problem. Lukewarm. Say indifferent. That word indifferent in the Greek, it means a lack of interest, a lack of concern or sympathy, unimportant. What will be the condition of the church? There'll be a lack of interest, a lack of interest for the things of God, a lack of a concern for the things of God. The things of God will be deemed unimportant. Are y'all with me this morning? Am I wasting anyone's time this morning? I sure hope I'm not. I don't, I don't feel like I'm wasting your time because what I'm saying is very important for the, from the Lord. Listen, to what he's talking about. There will come a time where people will deem the things of God unimportant. Now, I'm not talking about the world, we're talking about in the church. They'll deem the things of God unimportant. There'll they'll, they'll be a lack of concern for the things of God. This will be the global condition of the church. Lukewarm, say lukewarm. I told you Christians are lukewarm. Churches are lukewarm. Churches are not winning souls. Churches are not pushing for revival. Churches have cut out extended meetings. Why can't we have extended meetings? Because people won't come to meetings if we have them on a Monday night. You know, people are so lethargic. There's basketball on Monday night. If we have it on Monday night, half the church that have their kids in sports won't show up to stuff like that. What's the condition? They think the things of God are unimportant. Does God think that it's cute? Does God think that it's pleasing. No, he says repent of your indifference. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're indifferent and you're lukewarm. And if you stand before me in that state, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. If I could get a hold of Christians today, stop making the things of God unimportant. There should be a check in you. Why aren't the things of God important to me? Why can't I go a week without longing to be in the presence of my God? How can I go a week without any desire in me to pray, any desire in me to get into the word and receive the word that comes from straight from his mouth and get manna from heaven and fellowship with the Lord and the Spirit? There's a problem, guys. There's a problem in the people, but even more, there's a problem in what we're calling the church and how we're accommodating that lie in the people. They'll be lukewarm. Churches will be lukewarm. We, we've cut out. There's no prayer. There's no fasting. There's no conviction. You know, churches don't even do fasting anymore. It's just 21 days of prayer. When you start teaching about fasting, Christians are going to call you radical. Or they'll do a fast and they'll say, we're going to pray and we're going to do a social media fast. That's not in the Bible. They didn't have social media in the book of Acts. Well, I'm just not going to watch TV. I'm going to fast. That's, you know what? The word fast, it literally means to cover the mouth. You know, there's only two types of fasting in the Bible, food and sex, being honest with you. Paul said in a marriage, you know, if you both mutually agree for a time of separation, you can separate man and, husband, man and wife for a time to devote yourself to prayer and fasting, and then you need to come back together lest the devil tempt you. So there's only two things. It's a withhold from food. It's a withhold uh, from sex. There's one example of that in the New Testament. But traditionally, it's no food. Say no food. You take that away because you start teaching that Christians aren't willing to do that. Are y'all with me? Y'all get ready in January. We're going to have, I don't know if it's going to be 30 days or 40 days But we're going to go back into revival every week for the first part of January. But the difference is I've already got it lined up. We're bringing in different ministers every single week. And, And we're just going to go after this thing. We're going to make the things of God important in our lives. We're going to shelf some things. Are you with me? So there's a lack of interest, a lack of concern for the things of God. I told you this last week. What causes the church? So Jesus is prophesying, warning them this is the condition of the church in these last days. What causes the church to get into this condition? Number one, I told you there's no biblical standard being held for the believer. We undersell the cost of following Jesus. We're teaching a cheap, watered-down salvation that costs you nothing. And we're trying to just fill the pews and fill the seats and get people to come and get people to give and just get people to give us their stamp of approval. And we're underselling things that Jesus said, like in Luke chapter 14, lest you deny yourself, your own father, your own brother, your own sister, even your own life, and take up your cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. We're underselling these things. That we're not holding a biblical standard for believers. You must follow Jesus. Listen, you must pay the price. Are y'all with me in this room? I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. You, don't, you cannot continue to be a part of this and say, I'm going to be a Christian that doesn't pray, that doesn't go after the things of God. That the, the things of God are unimportant to me. I'm telling you, you won't be received by him. I don't want to lie to you. Is it convenient? Man, I've been working all day. Is it convenient? It's not always convenient. But we've got to totally rebuild our lives to live in fellowship with God. No biblical standard. There's no biblical standard for sin in the church. We don't condemn anybody, but you listen to modern-day preachers. You listen to preachers like Chad Beach, You listen to preachers like Rich Wilkerson out of Miami. I know you're not supposed to name names, but it's demonic. They'll go on interviews, and people will ask them, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? They won't answer. That's not something I feel comfortable saying. I don't feel like I need to tell darkness how dark darkness is. Let's just love them with the light, and it'll change them. That's not in the Bible. Listen, we're not running around condemning Sinners and holding an expectation over them, we're calling them to repentance. There has to be a biblical standard held to the Christian. Come on, somebody. At some point, there has to be a conviction. Hey, you're a believer. You can't keep drinking that stuff. You can't keep smoking that stuff. You can't keep doing that stuff. You can't keep living with the person you're not married to. Ha- you know, you were once lost, but you're not lost anymore. You've been found. You once did those things, but you do those things no more. You've put to death the deeds of the flesh. That in Christ you were counted in his death. Now you're counted in his resurrection and in his life. That's a biblical standard. It's not being taught to people. Lethargy is being preached in the pulpits. You know, if you have a child, and mommy says, you need to eat chicken and broccoli and carrots, and daddy comes over here and says, you can eat nothing but Laffy Taffy and gumdrops and, and lollipops, who is the child going to like more? Obviously. Why? Because that's what they want. But is that what they need? Is that what, that is, is that what is good for them? Is that what will help grow them? No. You, you know, and, and here's kind of my point. What causes the condition of the church? I'm blown away that people are given another option. You know, one of the worst things, there was a church back in the day called Mars Hill. They started the whole satellite campus thing for churches. And they, and they literally did this. They started different services. They said, we're going to have different rooms, different auditoriums with different services. For the older people that want to come in and sing hymns, we'll let you come in and sing hymns and give you an old traditional thing. For the younger people that, that want to have a more contemporary thing, you come in and have a more contemporary thing. For the, for the other people that you want to come in and headbang and have, they had different rooms set up for the different people. Here's my thing. Why are people giving another option? i'm not just talking about having a contemporary service i'm saying that's what's happening with the gospel when you're preaching a undersold gospel it costs you nothing you can live in your sin you can die in your sin you don't have to you don't have to give anything to the lord there's no part of you that has to surrender to him which one do you think the carnal man is going to flock to That's the problem. That's the message that God is warning the, the, the leaders in the body of Christ. Judgment must begin in the house of God. You stop lying to these people. You stop deceiving these people. And you stop catering to the world and to the spirit of the world just to line your own pockets and put money in the bank account. It's a lie. So, number two... The second condition of the church, look down, he says, <clears throat> verse 17, he said, you'll say that I'm rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need anything, but you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So what's the condition of the church in this last age? It says, number two, they'll be wealthy in resources. And I really told you why. What causes the church to get lethargic? What causes the church to, to get to this state? I really do believe that it's this wealth, and you need to hear me. There's nothing wrong with the wealth. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. Abraham was blessed. The problem is, is that this is what's happening here. The church right now has more money than we've ever had. Not just, I'm saying globally. The church in America, if you go down the street to the largest church in Lufkin, Nacogdoches, Houston, they have more money than the church has ever had in church history. Millions and millions and millions of dollars, bigger buildings, all of these things. And I don't get to this point, but it really doesn't matter because you're going to hear it anyways. And what we've said is, Now that we have the building, now that we have the speaker, now that we have the the $150,000 salary to fly in, the the recording artist from Australia to come be the worship leader over here, now that we have all of that stuff, why do we need to pray? Why do we need to fast? Why do we need the power of God? Because we have tons of people flocking here without having to do those things, so why do we need those things at all? In fact, God, we can do this without you. Why do we even need you? Why do we need the anointing? Why do I need as a minister to get on my face and seek God, deprive myself, pray fast, get in tune with the heart of God, get a word from the, from the heart of God, get a message from the Lord when I can get up here and put on a Christian circus show and the people will flock in to be entertained week after week. Why do I need to do those things anyways? Well, I'm going to tell you, you need to do it because you're missing God, and there is a judgment of God that is coming. I'm telling you, there's a judgment of God that is coming. And it's a warning. I don't want to preach this out of hatred. I don't want to preach it because I don't. I, I can't. You can't. But it's just, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. You know, the Bible talks about these people. It says this in 1 Timothy 6, 5. These people talking about these false teachers. They cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. You know, that there's actually a reality of that. There's a place a person can get where this translation says their mind is corrupt. But the Bible talks about it in Romans 1. A person turned over to a reprobate, reprobate mind. What does that mean? That a person is so lost in the greed. They're so caught. You know, they're like Nebuchadnezzar. Lots of ministers will do that. They'll stand on their stage with a cocky smile and say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Look how rich I am. Look how blessed that I am. And they've been given over to that spirit so much that their mind is literally corrupt. There's no place for God left in them. You you say, John, that sounds really harsh. But it's absolutely the facts. Look what this judgment the Lord talked about to the church in Thyatira. He told them, I know all the things that you do, I've seen your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. And I've seen your constant improvement in these things, but I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. Jesus is warning the church saying, there's been a false prophet that has that Jezebel spirit, and you have let it go on without confronting it, without saying anything about it. You've just let it lead people astray without being a watchman on the wall. It says, she teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. Listen to this. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn from her immorality. What does that mean? The Lord wanted her to repent. This false prophet it's talking about, this spirit. I gave them time to repent. But what happened? They had a deprived mind. They didn't want to repent. Well, Lord, I feel you tugging on my heart, but if I repent, that means that things in this church have to change. And if the things change the way that you want them to change, we ain't gonna have five thousand people. Because the Bible's clear that people in their carnal nature, they don't if they're given to that, they don't want the truth, they'll chase after teachings, teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. If I stand up and say what you want me to say, if I stand up and preach this word and confront some things in this culture, these people are going to run down the road and go to the next guy that's telling them what I'm telling them now, and they'll take their time money with them. And so therefore, I won't say it, I won't do it, I won't give in to it, I won't yield to the word. They have a deprived mind. The Lord came to them and said, repent, but they did not have repentance left in them. Look what the Lord said. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering. And those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn from their evil deeds. Y'all don't understand. We think that it's just all grace, 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 grace. There's judgment all throughout the New Testament. The Lord is slow to anger and wrath. He's quick to forgive and be merciful But I'm telling you, there is a time where enough is enough. There is a time where God will strike down somebody that is withholding his people. And and, and, you know, the Lord really gave me this word. If there's a church that the people don't want revival, the Lord will allow them to go on in their sin. But if there is a church Where the people are hungry, the people are thirsty, the people are praying, the people desire the word and the things of the spirit, but the leader is choking and cutting off the supply to the people. Listen to me right now. God will judge that person. Not in heaven one day, there will be a judgment that comes upon them that will remove them, that will strike them down. I'll throw her on a bed of sickness, a bed of suffering. Look at this. I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each person whatever you deserve. A lot of people don't know that, Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I've positioned myself where I've told them, I said, Lord, I don't want to know the American version of you. I want to know the real you. The one that John stood before, he couldn't even You know, you even listen to how people talk about about him. Oh, Daddy God. (laughs) Yeah, me and the Lord. They're just so casual. When John saw Jesus, it said that he had hair white like wool, eyes like flames of fire, feet that looked like they had been refined, bronze, golden feet that looked like they had been refined in the furnace. I had an open vision of Jesus when I was 20 years old. And I'm telling you, I I could not stand. I couldn't lift my head, my face up to look at him. He's so holy and pure. Treating him so casual. Before you can become a friend of God, you have to become a disciple of Christ. I want you to hear that. I told the Lord, Lord, I don't want to just be your son. I want to be your friend. Abraham was a friend of God. And the Lord quickly spoke to me in return and said what Jesus told his disciples. He said, before you called me master. But then at the end of his journey, at the end of three years, he said, there comes a time where the student becomes like the teacher. And he said, now I call you friend. Before he called them friend, they walked with him for three years, obeyed him as master before they became friends. Now, we've been brought into that the position to be friends of God. That doesn't mean every person is automatically best friends with God. And I'm going to be honest with you because Jesus also said he does not cast his pearls to swine, he doesn't cast holy things to dogs. You could have prayed that prayer. You could have been brought into the blood of Jesus. But if you still hold on to your sinful nature and your carnal way of thinking, God will never share things with you. He'll never share the treasures of heaven with you, with me, with any man, with any woman. Are you all with me this morning still? Sorry this is different. I'm not sorry, but I don't know if any of you are thinking that, if you are. I love you. God bless you. So it says this, these people talking about these false teachers in the last days, that that they'll be so wealthy, so rich. It says they have corrupt minds. They'll turn their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. That's the condition of the church. Why do you think, I I ran into a lady the other day, I met her in the mall, she came to one of our prophetic meetings that we had, I think it was um, the last meeting we had with Robin and Krista. She goes to a fairly large church in Lufkin. And she came and she was like, man, I see y'all, you know, you have teams going out on Saturday, your interns going out every day, knocking on doors, winning people to Jesus. That's just so amazing. She said, pray for us. Our church doesn't do anything like that. And you know what I told her? What a shame. Looked her right in the eyes. I said, what a shame. I said, because the platform that God has given your pastor in that church, it's so big. I was like, you know, we have 10 people go out on a Saturday in a church of 50 people, which today (laughs) there's not 50. A lot of people are gone, but Said, Imagine what a church of 1,000, a church of 2,000, a church of 3,000. Imagine the, the army of soul winners they could raise up if they put that in their people. If they made time for God and made the things of God important. Imagine a church that could get 250 soul winners in the street on a Saturday morning, going door to door, neighborhood to neighborhood, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about how fast we would see God move in this city and how fast we would see move God in this county, but again... God's speaking to some of these people, and he's asked some of these leaders to do things like that, and they said, no, we're not willing because of what it will cost us. But if we start going knocking on doors, people are going to think that we're like the Jehovah's Witness, that we're like the Mormons, that we do, and they're not willing to look foolish in the eyes of the community and look foolish in the eyes of the religious spirit. They're not willing to do what the Lord asks, and they deem the things of God unimportant. So these teachers, they'll rise up, and they, again, they know their market. And that was kind of the point that I was getting to. Christians aren't set on winning the lost. You know, one of the great evangelists we've had in here, Evangelist David King. I love him. He'll be back in January. He's starting his own church. It's going to be great. Y'all pray for him. But he told me the largest church in Fort Worth right now, that's known as like the Revival Church of Fort Worth, the way that they started that church is the pastor went and started having secret meetings with board members from other churches. Hey, let me take your board, let me go to a board member from another church. Let's go out to eat lunch. Why? Because they were Christian millionaires had multi-million dollar business. And he would go to this one and he'd go to that one and he'd go to this one and he'd go to that one. And then he would offer this is what we're doing. And he would just pull all of those people and they all left their churches and they came to his church. And now right off the bat, you know, he had a three million, five million dollar funding right off the bat. And then when it came time for service, instead of going out preaching the gospel to the lost, let's make a Facebook ad and let's target religious people, spiritual people. You know, in the Bible Belt, everyone's spiritual. And a town of 2 million, 3 million, 4 million people, you're going to have 100,000 that are radical, crazy, you know, prophet, ladies that like to fall out in the closet and, you know, stuff like that. And and they know that. And there's a demographic of those people that if we can just put the bait in front of them, we'll build this big church of a few thousand people and say, look how awesome we are. But we're not going after the lost. We're just fishing in our own ponds, fishing in our own bathtubs, Kenneth E. Hagan said. He said most churches, all they're doing is just fishing in their own bathtub, We're not going to catch anything fishing in our own bathtub. Because all we're going to do is build big Christian businesses in the name of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when we do that. And so that's the condition. He says that you'll say, look at that. You say, I'm rich, I have everything that I want, and I don't need a thing. Y'all, there's been no other time in history that, that that could be true than right now. There's been no other time in church history where the church could say, I'm rich. No other time. The church has grown up in extreme poverty, persecution, government opposition. But we live in a time, especially in the United States of America, where we're free. We're free to do what we want. We're free to have church. And then that's the condition of the American church. I'm rich, I'm fat, I'm prosperous. We got the Christian circus show that goes on and the Lord looks at them and says, you think that you're so rich, you don't realize that you're wretched, you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. Let's get to point number three this morning. I'm not going to take a whole lot more time Point number three, what will this last church, the condition, the warning God's given to the church, this is what he said. Listen to this. He says, I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by the fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness. Ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. So I'm going to break some things down. Write this down for number three. What will the church be like in the last days? It says three. They'll trade the anointing for imitation. Buy gold from me. Say gold. Again, Kenneth E. Hagin taught a, a message. The Lord gave him this revelation. And you know, this is crazy how it all lines up. He wrote many books, one of his books, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits, and he gave a prophetic message. He said, this is not for me. He said, this is for the people coming after me. He said, the greatest revival that the Lord has ever poured on the earth, the Lord wants to do it in you, but there's a warning. You cannot compromise. It's not just a guaranteed thing. And he gave them this warning. Do not trade the gold for brass. That was the warning of the Lord through the prophet to the church. Coming in, in our day, in our time, do not trade the gold for brass. And that's exactly what takes place. That's why Jesus says, buy gold from me, because the church traded the gold for brass. What do I mean by that? Put that picture up of the brass for me. If you don't know what brass looks like, this is a picture of brass. It looks like gold, doesn't it? It looks just like gold, but it's not. It's comprised of zinc and copper. It's not pure gold. It's made of zinc and it's made of copper. It's a mixture. So basically, what's the warning here? The church will get to a spot where they've mixed the things of the world. They've mixed a little bit of this. They've mixed a little bit of that. They've mixed a little bit of American. They've mixed a little bit of the business model. They've mixed all these things together and made an imitation that looks like gold, but it's not gold. It's just an imitation of the gold. This is the theatrical, the theatrical church again, I told you. We're going to have three services, so what are we going to do? We're going to put in our smoke machines, our fog machines, our click tracks, and, and, and what do you have? You have worship teams that are sitting there on their click track, and, and the, the Spirit of the Lord begins to move. But guess what? That timer ran up. It's 11:05 and now because we got to get in here and get out and another group's coming in in 15 minutes the guy comes up right in the middle of a move of the spirit of god and says, "Well, how many of you are happy to be in church today?" Hallelujah. Put your hands together and you watch the spirit of god totally just leave the place. It's an imitation. Let's make people think that they're encountering God, but let's not really invite the true living God, the Holy Spirit, to come in this place and touch people's lives. Hallelujah. You know, it really, it really is... I was telling my wife this yesterday, I said, I'm so burdened. I said, I do not want, and I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if, if I have to hold this ground and I never have a church of multi-thousands of people. I don't want the lights, camera, action, show, church. I don't want it. I don't want it. And I'm telling you now, if that's what you want, because guys, I'm going to tell you, a lot of Christians do want that. They genuinely do. They would prefer to live a life of, of nothing, giving nothing to Jesus. Bound, a lot of them bound in addiction. A man cheating on his wife on the side, just lustful at heart, idolatry, would rather go to a place... That says, "Well, give me the two and a half worship songs with the 40 the, the 35 little message that had two Bible verses and then six little philosophical points to come behind it where you don't lay hands on anybody. No one's getting prayed for. No one's getting saved. You know, I I don't want that. I don't want it. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in it. I told the Lord I'll never do it, Lord. I'll never I will stop doing what I'm doing right now before I ever do that. I will literally, if it comes a day where we run everybody out because the, the uh, apostasy happens and nobody wants that anymore, everybody wants the lights, the camera, the show, the action, I said, I'll go down the road, I'll get a job, and I'll come, and I'll, I'll support myself, and I'll do this, and I'll keep doing it. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to do the little theatrical church. You know, the Lord gave me that revelation about a year and a half ago. You ever wonder why we don't turn the lights off during worship? The Lord's like, this ain't a club. This is a church. we got to turn the lights off. Why? Because if we turn the lights off, we can facilitate someone having a moment with God. Maybe, you know, they feel alone. And we're doing all this stuff. It's an imitation of the gold. I'd rather pray, I'd rather fast, I'd rather keep preaching and laboring in the word. I'd rather keep standing year after year and believe God to touch and breathe revival on this place than compromise to just get butts and seats. I didn't you know you and I'm telling you, I've had Christian, I've had church members do that in the past. Come up to me, Brother John, you know, there's just not a whole lot of people and 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 say stuff like that and I'm like what do you expect you know I mean really when you when you preach do you think that everybody received Jesus he went out into the field and yes there was thousands of people that came but then the very next verse he says lest you eat my uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood and everybody deserted him except his 12 the thousands left And he even told them, do you come out here because you're hungry, you want me, or did you come out here because I'm feeding you bread and fish? Tell the average Christian that. Do you come because you're hungry for God, because you're thirsty, because you can't wait to get with your brothers and sisters and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, or do you come to be entertained? So they'll trade the gold for brass. Let's keep going number 4. I need to get this out number 4. Look at verse 18. He says, "So advise, buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by the fire, then you will be rich." What does that mean? Write this down for number 4. He's telling them that because they compromise. So number 4, there will be compromise, compromise not the will, com- they will compromise. There's a why on the end of that. They will compromise. Look at 1 Peter 1, through 6-7. It says, Be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show how genuine your faith is. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, say strong. So when it remains strong through testing, through many trials, it says it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So basically it talks about your faith when you're tested, when you go through a trial and you develop endurance, you develop faith that is tested like, like gold being refined in a furnace. So basically that's talking about faith that stands in the midst of trial. Are y'all with me? You see that? So why is Jesus saying, buy gold from me, gold that has been refined? Let me read where he says here. Gold that has been purified by the fire. He's, that we know through the scripture that means get faith that stands. Get a standing faith that stands in the midst of trial and adversity. Why is he telling them that? Because they compromised. Say Compromise. Compromise. The church was, had compromised when it was tested. It didn't stand. What do you see happening? What did you see happen in 2020 through 2022? Compromise, cop out, compromise, 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 compromise. Shut down, shut up, lock down, mask up, vax up, compromise in the church. Right? So Jesus is speaking to them. Get faith that is uncompromised. Get fire. Get the anointing from me. Get the gold that's been purified, tested by fire. Say the real stuff. Hallelujah. And then we're going to end with this final point here. Number six. So he says this. Again, verse 18, buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by the fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me. Oh, I'm sorry, number five, but not number six. Buy white garments from me. Say white garments so that you'll not be ashamed of your nakedness. So what do we know? What's the condition of the church? He says this, number five, they soiled their white garments. They soiled their white garments. What does that mean? What are these white garments? Revelation 19, verse 8. Basically, they, they, they didn't keep their garments white is what that means. What are these white garments revelation 19:8 And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clear and bright What is this fine linen for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints The righteous acts so whenever Jesus is saying, buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, they were naked because they gave up their white garments. They gave up their righteous acts. They gave up on righteousness. Righteousness stopped being preached. Sin became rampant through the, through the church. The entire church was filled with people that were in fellowship with demons, in fellowship with wickedness, in fellowship with darkness. Number six. And then he says this on top of that, by ointment. By ointment for your eyes, so that you will be able to see. Say see. So what's his warning to this last church? So obviously we've already went over this. You're lukewarm. You're lukewarm and indifferent. You're wealthy in resources, but yet you're really wretched and poor. You've traded the anointing for imitation. You've compromised. Number five, you've soiled your white garments with sin and wickedness. Number six, buy ointment so that you can see. What is the ointment so that you can see? Get balm, another translation says, so that you can see. Well, to understand this, how do we see? There's two ways in which we see. Number one, the word. Say the word. Psalms 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp, is a guide to my feet and a light for my path. Your word is the light. Your word is the lamp. Your word is the guide. If you can't see, it's because you don't have the word. So what does that tell you? In these last days, a part of this whole thing that's happening, this compromise, the rich, the wealth, the trading, the imitation, the church will give up. They'll trade the word in. They'll be void of the word. There's no word being preached, there's no word being taught, there's no word being deposited inside the children that are being raised up. That's why when they turn 18 or 19 years old, they're leaving the church statistically at 89% because they have no light, they have no lamp, they have no path because they have no foundation of the word of God the word it says in hebrews 4:12 for the word of god is alive and powerful it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow look what it does it exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires the word shines the light so if you can't see it's because you're void of the word on top of the word what else allows us to see say the spirit Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 16-18. But when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So The Bible talks about there's a veil over an unbeliever. There's a veil that's over a person that's in the, the kingdom of wickedness, the kingdom of darkness, where there's this veil where they can't see. That's why... Jesus preached to so many people, and they just couldn't understand the simple things that he was saying because of this veil. But the Bible says, when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what what, the Spirit of the Lord, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you get born again, and now you, 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 you can see spiritual things. You have spiritual life on the inside of you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see, say can see, and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. So what will be the condition of the church? They'll be lukewarm, indifferent. They'll be wealthy in resources, but wretched and poor. They'll trade the the anointing for imitation They'll be compromised, they'll soil their white garments, and they'll be void. They'll have no spirit and no word. What's God's message to these people? What's God's message to the church? What is God's message to this generation, to America? Trying to get it in the hearts of Christians, trying to get it in the hearts of leaders behind the pulpits. Repent, 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 repent. Turn from your indifference. Do not be lukewarm. You're lukewarm. Repent of these things. Get the Spirit, get the Word, get the anointing, get the white garments. Get hot, get on fire for the Lord. Get concerned about the things of God. I don't want to just give you this message to leave you depressed and like, well, what do we do? The Lord told me several things. Number one, what can we do about this? We need to pray for God to touch His church. Hallelujah. We need to pray for God to touch His church. We need to pray for this to get in Christians today. Number two, we need to pray for revival, for God to wake up the church. Because look at this. It says in verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. So he rebukes them and says all these things to them. And then he says, I stand at the door and knock if you'll hear my voice and open the door. I'll come in. I'll share, We'll share a meal together as friends. He stands at the door and knocks, guys. Are y'all with me? God wants to touch our church. God wants to touch America. God wants to reach these places. He's willing. He's standing at the door knocking. He just has to be invited in. The Holy Ghost has to be welcomed back to the church. You have to hunger. You have to thirst. You have to seek after him. Repent. Turn from your evil ways. He said, I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal and restore your land. I'll answer your prayers. Paraphrase, but that's what he said. Hallelujah. Say pray. Pray. Number three, you need to keep guard over your own hearts that we don't fall into this. Keep guard over your own heart. Listen to me, church. Keep guard over your own heart. Don't be led astray. Keep the fire burning. Keep the word strong. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Number four, we need to go after God's lost sheep, the lost, win souls. I already told you this, but God's appealing to some. And again, if there's a church that wants the Lord to move, he'll move. Do you want the Lord to move? I'm asking you, my church, do you want the Lord to move in this church? Do you really want it? Do you really want revival more than anything? Do you really want Jesus more than anything? Because, you know, there's really only so much, and you guys are great, but there's only so much a leader can do. Moses could never get the people into the promised land because they weren't willing to go. Didn't matter what God wanted. It was an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. They spent 40 years wandering around and, and, and Moses standing there, like trying to get these people to get what the Lord was doing and what he was saying, but they were stubborn, rebellious people. They rejected the Lord, and guess what? They never went into the promised land. God raised up a generation after them that went into the promised land. Father, I pray that you light hearts on fire in this place in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Let me pray over you. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I want you to begin to pray for just a moment now. Shandarabara bo shiti. Lord, I pray that as I labor in the word, that it would stick in their hearts. Get a hold of their hearts, Lord. Lord, we want the anointing. We want the gold. We don't want the brass. We don't want the imitation. We don't want the mixture of anything. We want the truth. We want you, Jesus. We honor you. We glorify you. This is all about you, Lord. This is your church. This isn't about keeping us entertained. This is about worshiping you, glorifying you, and edifying and building up your church, the saints for the work of the ministry. Shandara Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Every heart. Praise you, Jesus. Y'all, come on. Just lift your hands. I don't want to just religious pray. I believe God's going to touch some of you in the room right now. Do what you can do, Lord. Shandarabare bibi shiti karabaro Hallelujah. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for revival in our nation. Speak to your leaders. Speak to pastors and ministers. Quicken their hearts. And the Lord is speaking now to several. I'm giving you time to change. I'm giving you time to repent. But for many, I'm telling you, many the Lord will remove... Many the Lord will dethrone, they've built a throne in place of the Lord's throne and the Lord will throw them off of their own throne. The Lord will take kingdoms away from Saul's and he'll raise up David's people, men and women that are after the heart of God, that will go, Joshua's, that will lead the people into the promised land. Shadabariki, she kittied at a barra, boros, shetarabara, shetarabay. Hallelujah. Robariki, she kidded at a barra, shetay, and you be kidded at a barbot, or shatarabay today. Shandaribi beaded a bit, shetarabara, porobara, beaky, she Lord, I pray for this church to catch the fire. People that have hearts burning for you, hungry, more hungry than they've ever been before, Lord. Some of you say, I'm hungry. No, you can be hungrier. I promise. There's another level. There's another level of surrender. There's another level of self-sacrifice. There's another level of faith. There's another, another level of hunger, another level of thirst. You want to see the glory of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord move in this place. There has to be hunger. There has to be a demand. There has to be faith because the Lord says, I stand at the door and I knock. Lord, bring us people That would even look at the clock at 1226 and say there's no place I'd rather be than right here right now. I've had enough time in the world. I've had enough time at work. I've had enough time in the restaurants. I've had enough time all week doing everything else. Now is the time for me to praise my Lord. Now is the time for me to open my mouth and lift my hands. Now is the time for me to get into uh, the spirit with my brothers and my sisters. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, help us break religion off of this church. In Jesus' name. A lot of the American model church that we model, that we think it has to look like this, it has to be like that, it's, there's no blueprint for it in the Scripture whatsoever. Jesus' meetings were loud. Jesus' meetings were filled with people getting touched. As he taught in the synagogues, shrieks would come out, devils coming out, people getting touched. Your word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Lord, that when believers gather together, let them sing, let somebody give a special revelation and a teaching, let tongues be given, let interpretation of tongues be given. Lord, I thank you, and I ask you for the Spirit of God to move amongst us in that way. Open up this church to the, to the realm of the Spirit, Lord. With the gifts of the Spirit and full manifestation in this church, not just from the pulpit, from amongst the people, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word, in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.